What is up, guys? And welcome to Montreal Madness with your host, Tony Montreal. So the Pittsburgh Steelers, with their 38-29 win over the Philadelphia Eagles last Sunday, improved to 4-0 on the year, and now they are one of four teams that are currently undefeated. With the Tennessee Titans beating the Bills uh, this past Tuesday, they improved to 4-0 as well. And then the NFC, you have the Seahawks and the Packers. Both of those teams are undefeated right now as well. So you would think with the Pittsburgh Steelers being undefeated that they're one of the top teams in the league right now. They're rolling in all cylinders and everything like that. Well, not so fast here, folks. Uh, you might want to pump the brakes on that a little bit. Because I predicted in my last episode that the Steelers would put together a full 60-minute game. And I had them winning 33-14. to Now, midway through the third quarter, my prediction was looking really good. They were up 31-14. Chase Claypool was having one hell of a game. Finished with over 100 yards receiving and four total touchdowns. Uh, three from Ben Roethlisberger and one rushing. And he was just looking really well. Um, he was emerging as one of the Steelers' best wide receivers on the team uh, last Sunday. And just everything from the offense to the defense, they were just like looking really, really well. Then all of a sudden, Philly just kept scoring. They scored again. Then they scored again to make it 31-29. And then the last drive of the game for the Steelers, they went down and scored a touchdown to basically seal the game. The Eagles had one final drive, and they were stopped on fourth down. So the Steelers were able to still squeak out a win, but it did not look pretty at all. So going into this season, what did everybody say that the Steelers were going to be really good at despite even Big Ben coming back? It was their defense. Their defense, with the help of Ben Roethlisberger, was going to be the reason why they uh, make it to the playoffs and ultimately make it to the Super Bowl. I mean, it was going to be another year where they ride their defense hard, and but with Big Ben back, they didn't have to do it all themselves, which in theory should make the defense even better than it was last year when they were still tops in the league with you know quarterback play from Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. So, including myself and with all the experts out there, I mean, we had the Steelers going 12 and 4, 11 and 5. I've even seen a couple people predicting them to go 13 and 3 on the season or higher, based on the fact that they had everybody coming back on defense, as well as the emergence of Ben Roethlisberger coming back as well. Now, I want to uh, give to you some of the team's rankings through one quarter of the season. And I want you to see if this team actually looks like a top-tier team with them being undefeated. So we all know on this defense that their bread and butter is their front seven. And going into the season, we all raved about that front seven with the likes of you know T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, Cam Hayward, uh, Devin Bush, Stephon Tuitt, and the list goes on and on. So they are ranked first in the league in sacks with 20. They are ranked first in rushing yards allowed per game with 64. This team, as far as other teams rushing the ball against them, I mean, good luck. I mean, that front seven is just too good for anybody. I don't care if it's Derrick Henry or whoever. You're going to have a hard time rushing against the Steelers' defense. I mean, yes, Miles Sanders had a 74-yard run um, into the end zone off a draw play on third down, but he only finished with 80 total yards rushing. So you take away that one big run, 
He only finished the game with uh, six total rushing yards. So their, their worry isn't in the run game or of getting sacks because that is their bread and butter on this team. But let me read off some other uh, team rankings on this defense for you right now. So they are ranked 15th in the league in allowing 237.5 passing yards per game. Now, that is a little skewed within itself because as far as team passing yards is concerned, whenever your team gets sacked, it counts against team passing yards. It doesn't count against the quarterback's passing yards. So although the Steelers have given up a lot of passing yards to opposing quarterbacks, with them getting so much sacks, it lowers down the uh, total passing yards that a team collects. So that stat is a little skewed uh, because of what I just mentioned. And the fact that they are 15th in the league, you know, that could be even worse if that's if that stat was, you know, like in college to where sacks against counted against the quarterback's rushing yards. So, you know, even them being ranked 15th, only allowing 237 and a half passing yards a game. That's that's not what you know, the that's not what the film shows. So they are really susceptible in the secondary right now. Uh, they are third in the league and allowing only 301.5 total yards a game. They are ranked 6th in points allowed at 21.8. Now, this is where it gets a little scary, folks, okay? Third down conversions against. They are 28th in the league, giving up 50% third down conversions. I believe teams are 28 for 56 against the Steelers on third down. And that is just downright pathetic, if you ask me. And then on top of that, they are tops in the league with opposing teams getting first downs off of penalties. And they have 10 penalties that have given teams first downs. And those are just killers, uh, not for just the Steelers defense, but for any defense. If you're allowing teams pick up first downs off penalties, that is just not good. Uh, it's 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 downright terrible. And another thing that won't show up in the stat book, but you know you can cl clearly see on film and through just looking at videos of the Steelers and everything, they are blitzing at this point in the season way more often than not than last year as well. I think they are blitzing, I think, around 20% more than through four games last year. And I think that's a real telling sign as to what the Steelers coaching staff thinks of this secondary right now. Because last year, they were playing a lot of man coverages. Now, whether they were schemed or they were just lining up man-to-man, -man, you know, hey, just try to beat us, lining up right across from the receiver, and now you have to go, come beat me. Or whether it was, you know, man-covered schematically where they'd switch it up, you know, based on uh, what the receiver's routes were running. But they were playing a lot of man coverage last year, and it was working to perfection. You know, I have yet to see a Steelers defense play that well in the passing game than what it did last year. I mean, they were just phenomenal. I mean, they're defensive backs. I mean, they were just so outstanding last year in covering their wide receivers and tight ends and everything like that. And with this same group of guys coming back this year from last year, I wouldn't think they'd be having this problem right now, but they are. So I mean, you know, that's a, I think it's a major factor into into the reason why the Steelers are blitzing a lot more because we've seen through four games already, you know, if the Steelers aren't blitzing or if they do drop a blitz and it doesn't get to the quarterback, I mean, the opposing quarterbacks are just lighting up the Steelers secondary. And what made this defense so good last year 
was the fact that you know they didn't need to bring a full out blitz to get to the quarterback. You know, the secondary was giving that front four pass rush time to get to the quarterback. And all it takes, literally all it takes is a, is a second or two, you know, longer for the quarterback to hold the ball when you have a defensive front with the likes of Watt, Dupree, Tuitt, and Hayward coming at the quarterback. All they need is that one extra second for the, for the Steelers secondary to just hold, hold the wide receivers in check, don't allow them to get open. And like I said, just that one extra second or two definitely allows guys like Watt and them to get to the quarterback with only a four-man rush. And they are not getting that opportunity this year. You know, it seems like the Steelers, you know, if they only bring a four-man rush, by the time they get to the quarterback, the ball is already out because the receivers are open with within the first two or three seconds of the ball being snapped. I mean, that's how fast these guys are getting open. And just for the life of me, you know, they've played a lot more zone as well this year than they did last year. And I don't want, I don't know why they just don't play more man coverage. You know, they did that in the second half against the Houston Texans a couple weeks ago. You know, they were playing a lot of zone the first half, and then they scrapped that game plan, and they went to play a man coverage. And guess what happened whenever they did start to play man coverage in the second half against the Texans? They only allowed Deshaun Watson and that offense to cross the 50-yard line one time. Just one freaking time they allowed that Texans offense past the 50-yard line. And that one time that they did cross the 50-yard line, they forced an interception. So, for the love of God, Mike Tomlin, whatever the hell you're doing with this defense right now and that game plan, stop it. Scrap it. Throw it in the freaking trash. Go out to the dumpster in that defensive game plan right now. Put all of that into the dumpster. Get rid of it. Burn it. And start playing man coverage. Because when you do that, you know, with this defense, with that front seven, and the way your secondary is built, you know, it seems like this secondary, they're built to play man coverage. So play to your strengths for the love of God. It worked so well last year. And if it wasn't for freaking Mason Rudolph and Duck freaking Hodges as your quarterback, you had a Super Bowl winning defense last year, and you could have won your seventh Lombardi trophy if it wasn't for Ben Roethlisberger being out with an elbow injury for the remainder of the year from the week two on. So please, for the love of God, that game plan in the second half you had against the Texans that worked so well that only allowed the Texans 67 yards of total offense in the second half. Just one time they crossed the 50-yard line. Keep doing that. What is so hard about that? Against the Eagles, early on in the first half, guess what they were doing? They were playing man coverage. And guess what? They only allowed 14 points in the second half. One was based on a busted run play on a draw play on third down. The Steelers didn't expect it. If it wasn't for that, they had only allowed seven points. So that was basically a gimme. That was a fluke. So I just don't understand it. They're playing this zone defense right now. They're giving this big cushion to the receivers. And it's allowing quarterbacks like freaking Jeff Driscoll. You know, he replaced Drew Locke in the second game against Denver to light up the Steelers secondary. So Mike Tomlin, whatever the hell you're doing with the Steelers defense, you know, as far as the secondary is concerned, it's not working, man. It's not working. This zone defense that you're that you're bringing is just giving too much of a cushion 
to these wide receivers. And almost every wide receiver in this league right now is so skilled and so fast. And you can't give these receivers, you know, time and space to work with the ball. You know, a five-yard catch can turn into a 15, 20-yard gain with just how skillful and how fast, you know, these receivers are throughout the whole league. So whenever you're playing tight man coverage last year, it works so well. Please do that. There's nothing wrong with that. It worked so well for you last year. So I don't know why they're they're playing all this zone these zone coverages and everything like that, but it's giving you no know, quarterbacks all they have to do is drop back three steps, find an open guy five seven yards down the field, they catch it, they have still five yards of cushion to work with, and there that's a first down every single time, and that's what's happening to the Steelers defense every single time that they play in a zone coverage, this soft zone coverage. And I also think with playing in this soft zone coverage that they've been doing this year so far, it's taking their biggest playmaker in the secondary, Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, out of the game. And I really don't think it's his fault that he's underperforming this year because he's only doing what he's told. And he's told to drop back 20 yards and play deep. And he can't make plays in the ball and, you know, cut off routes and wide receivers and everything and make all those splash interception plays that he was doing last year with the way, with the way this defense is schematically set up um, right now with what they're doing. You know, I, you know, I've been looking for him you know, throughout the game, trying to watch him. I don't even see him on the screen half the time or, you know, more than half the time because he's playing so deep, you know, trying to prevent, you know, those fly routes, those go routes and those, um, you know, deep crossing routes down the middle of the field. You know, so he's, you know, he's, you know, that's his duty, it seems like right now. And he, he you know, he's not able to make those big, you know, splash plays, those interceptions like we saw against the Colts where he took it back to the house for a touchdown to get to get the Steelers back into the game. You know, that's just one example of how much of a playmaker and how athletic and how gifted he is, you know, at the safety position. So they're just they're they're taking him out um, of the game by doing that. You know, you got to let your star players be able to make plays. You know, you don't you don't send Watt and Dupree um, into coverage on third downs. No, you do what they do best and you have them go after the quarterback. So why do you take Minka Fitzpatrick, your best secondary player, you know, and basically have him lined up 20 yards in the backfield to just prevent the big play? You know, I you know I just don't understand it. So, you know, the Steelers, they need to do a lot of hard thinking. They need to do a lot of hard looking in the mirror at themselves, especially that coaching staff, which is led by Mike Tomlin. And just, you know, you know, with this Browns team, with the likes of Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, you know, and Kareem Hunt. And I know Nick Chubb's out and everything, but this is a really good offense. You know, I know Baker, you know, I know he's overrated. A lot of people, you know, like me say he's overrated as well. So, but he is a quarterback to where if you give him time and you give those wide receivers space to do what they do best is, you know, what they do best is yards after the catch. So if you give these wide receivers open space to work with, you give, you give Odell Beckham Jr. open field to work with after he catches the ball, he's going to turn those, you know, five to seven yard um, catches into 20 to 30 yard gains because he has so much space to work with. So I don't know what their game plan is going to be um, against the Browns next week, but it better be better it better be better than what we're seeing out of the Steelers defense right now. And speaking of the Browns, 
raise your hands if you would have thought, especially after week one, they when they got trounced by the Baltimore Ravens, if you thought that this Browns team would be 4-1 at this point in the season. Yeah, I don't think anybody thought that the Browns would be 4-1 right now. But alas, they are. They're looking like a really solid team. This defense is flying all around the ball. They are making a lot of plays on defense. This offense, you know, they are playing to Baker Mayfield's strengths. They are rolling him outside of the pocket, buying him even more time to set his feet and to throw the ball down the field. I mean, he can even, you know, he's the type of quarterback where he can throw in the run if need be and still be accurate if he doesn't have anybody draped all over him. So, you know, whenever you give any quarterback, you know, let alone Baker Mayfield, time in the pocket and just, you know, space to work with, you know, he's going to hit his throws. He's he's going to hit his receivers down the field. You know, he's going to hit his tight ends in the middle of the field and everything like that. And, you know, their running game right now it is first in the league. They are averaging 188 yards on the ground through five games. So the Steelers defense, you know, I know I raved early, earlier in this uh, show about how well this run defense is. I, I think they need to game plan like they did against the Giants in week one. They need to stop the run first and foremost. Don't allow Kareem Hunt to get any open space to work with. They need to stuff him at the line of scrimmage. And don't let them get into second and manageable and third and manageable situations where they can do what they do best, which is the play action game. Because this, you know, running the ball effectively, it creates so many plays where play action is available. It, you know, it bites linebackers in. Then you, you have the middle of the field to work with. You can throw over top the linebackers and everything. So first and foremost, they need to stop this Browns rushing attack which, like I just said, is tops in the league. If they can do that, and if they can force Baker Mayfield to stay within the pocket, don't allow him to roll out, especially to his right, where he can throw on the run, contain him in the pocket, make him you know, go through his progressions, go through his reads. And like I just mentioned earlier with this defense, I think they're going to have to play man coverage in order to slow down these wide receivers to give that one extra second or two for Watt and Dupree and those guys to get after Baker Mayfield and to you know rattle his cage and to not make him feel comfortable in the pocket. Because whenever Baker Mayfield, when he gets on a roll, whenever he's comfortable in the pocket, you know, he is he's one of the best he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Now, you know, he's you know he's not one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. He's probably a little bit below average right now. Because half the time, he doesn't feel comfortable in the pocket. You know, he's getting rattled. He's getting chased down and everything. And, you know, I think Baker Mayfield thinks he's a better athlete than what he is. He's not the best athlete out in the field. He is not one of the top five, six quarterbacks in the league athletically. There are, there are a lot more quarterbacks more athletic than Baker is. And I think that is, you know, something that he needs to learn as well, where, you know, I might think I'm a good athlete, but I'm not. You know, clearly it's not shown in the stat book and in the win column where it matters the most. So, but whenever Baker Mayfield is in a rhythm, he is one of the better quarterbacks in the league. So in order for the Steelers to win this game one Sunday, they can't let Baker Mayfield get into a rhythm. And I think that's going to be a major focal point and a big key in order to beat this Browns team on Sunday. Now, as far as this Steelers offense is concerned, I am loving what I'm seeing with this Steelers offense right now. You know, as I said before the season started, where it was going to take a good 
three to four to even five weeks for this offense to finally hit its stride and get into its own rhythm. I think they found it. You know, against the Philadelphia Eagles, besides for a couple drives and that one turnover by Eric Ebron where he fumbled the ball, I mean, this Steelers offense, they have been they have been progressing really nicely throughout the season thus far. You know, they are shaking the rust off, Big Ben included. He's looking better week after week. And if you go back and watch the film from week one until, you know, their last game against the Eagles this past Sunday, he has looked like a completely different quarterback. I mean, that is just a credit to his natural talent and just his football knowledge and his experience he's grown since 2004's rookie year. I mean, he's, he's looking just so solid and so sharp right now. Now, I know he's had some trouble throwing the deep ball. He's only completed four of 17 passes with 20 or more air yards down the field, which is one of the worst in the league. But I think like of everything, he's going to keep getting better week after week. And as the season progresses, he's going to start hitting the deep ball more often than not. So I'm not worried at all about Big Ben. I'm not worried at all about the Steelers offense right now because they keep progressing. You know, like I said earlier, week after week, they keep getting better and better. So I don't see no signs of them slowing down at all. But this uh, Browns defense is going to be a real challenge and a real test to see where the Steelers offense is, to see where the Steelers defense is, and overall, just to see how this you know team is you know playing against some good competition. Because like I said earlier, their first four games, um, their opponents in the first four games have a combined record of 3-15-1. So we're really going to see this Sunday where the Steelers actually stack up in you know, in terms of where they are um, in the league right now, and they have a really tough three-game stretch here coming up, even four-game stretch here coming up. So they play at home against the Browns this Sunday. That ends their four-game home stand. Then they play at Tennessee week seven, week eight they play at Baltimore, and in week nine they play at Dallas. So this is gonna be a really you know key four-game stretch for the Steelers. And where they stack up, and you know where they are overall in terms of the um, good teams in the league. But it all starts with the Browns this Sunday on CBS at one o'clock. And if they can find a way to beat the Browns, improve the five and zero, and to prove to the whole league that these first four games wasn't just a fluke, and they weren't four zero just because they were playing shit teams and everything, I think that'll go a long way into building up this team's confidence into this really tough stretch of the season. And as much as I've been talking a lot of crap on the Steelers' defense, you know, last year. It took the Steelers' defense until week five against the Ravens to really show uh, their true nature and what they were capable of. And although they lost that game against the Ravens last year in week five, they absolutely dominated on defense. In fact, Lamar Jackson had his worst game of the year statistically against the Steelers. So I think through um, this will be the Steelers' fifth game this year. 
I hope and I pray, but I ultimately do believe that this Steelers defense, they, they they find their way back into the fold as one of the top defenses in the league. I think they shore down that secondary for the most part. I think they do a lot better job than what they've been doing through the past four games this year. I believe they come firing out in all cylinders. I think that offense is going to come ready to go. I think they're going to put a lot of points on the board early. And I think that although this is going to be a close game, I think the Steelers come out on top. I think they, you know, I think they lay it out all in the line on defense. I think they force Baker Mayfield into some turnovers. I don't think he passes for more than 200 yards um, on offense. And I have the Pittsburgh Steelers beating the Browns by a score of 27 to 16. Um, you know, I think it's going to be tight until the fourth quarter. Then I think Big Ben in that offense, they open it up a little bit. I think they pound the ball in the ground. They get that Browns defense tired. And I think they just march down the field a few times in the fourth quarter to break open the game. And that is my final score, 27-16. to 16. The Steelers improved to 5-0. and And then they face the Tennessee Titans. And that's going to be the real true test to see where this Steeler team stands going into the rest of the season. So moving on from the gridiron to the ice, the NHL concluded its 2020 draft over this past weekend, as well as starting its free agency period too. So Alexi Lafreniere, the number one consensus overall pick going into the draft, ended up being the number one overall pick to the New York Rangers. Now, to me, Alexis Lafreniere is just like a Connor McDavid, just like a Sidney Crosby back when he first entered the league. I believe he's going to light up the league by storm. He's going to score a lot of goals, put up a lot of points right away. And when you mix him up with the likes of Artemi Panarin with Capo Caco, their uh, first round choice last year. I mean, they still have Mika Sabenajad. They have Chris Kreider. They have Brendan Lemieux. And they just have a lot of offensive firepower now on this Rangers team. Now, there's still going to be a big question mark on defense with this uh, New York Ranger team as well. I don't think they're a playoff team quite yet, but they are going to be a fun team to watch, much like the Oilers are right now. Um, they are just going to be must-see TV, and you know they are going to bring a lot of energy. This team is going to bring a, a lot of en energy into the rink, uh, game in and game out. And they, you know, they're just gonna be really a fun team to watch. And I'm gonna be really looking forward to seeing this team play, and especially seeing them play against my Montreal Canadiens, to where they made a, a big splashes in free agency as well. They went out and got Josh Anderson by trade before the free agency period started. They traded Max Demi for him. I think that's a really good trade. You know, Max Demi, you know, his first year at the Canadiens. Um, you know, he put up 72 points. He put up career highs um, in that season a couple years ago. But then this past year, he did not look like the same person. And especially when the playoffs uh, rolled around this year, uh, he did not look well at all. And he was demoted to the fourth line. Him and head coach Claude Julian did not see eye to eye um, in that transaction. 
And I think it was best for both parties to make that trade. And Josh Anderson, he is just what the Kings are looking for. He is a big time player. He is like six foot two, six foot three, two hundred pounds. He plays just as big um, as his size is. He's not afraid to go into the boards. He's not afraid to stand in front of the net and take hits from defensemen and everything. Um, he's uh, he was a proven twenty seven goal scorer just two years ago before his injury this past year. You know he only had one goal and four points, but he missed you know three quarters of the season. So I think he turns that around and he gives Canadians just what they need. Uh, they also signed Tyler Toffoli. He won a few Stanley Cups with the uh, Kings a few years ago as well, um, who beat the Rangers back in, I believe, 2016. Um, you know, he's just another guy, just like Josh Anderson. He's a proven 20 goal scorer his whole career. You know, he gets into the dirty areas. He's another big body. You know, he checks a lot. Uh, he just plays big, something can, uh, Canadians really needed. So I really do like what I see with the Canadians as far as, you know, what, you know, they brought in from free agency and through uh, trades just from this past week. They re-signed um, their heart and soul of the team, Brendan Gallagher, to a six-year deal. So I'm glad they got that locked up. Um, but they are in a cap crunch, much like a lot of the teams in this league. You know, they will have a flat cap at the start of next season. So that means um, they won't be able to sign a lot of guys that are on contract, you know, in their last year of the contract this year. Um, so it's be interesting to see how they play all that out. But they're in the same boat with a lot of other teams throughout the league. So I'm not at all the least bit, bit concerned about my Montreal Canadiens. Now, free agency winners, um, as of right now, you've got to start with the Buffalo um, Sabres. You know, they went out and got Taylor Hall, who was the best free agent on the market this year. They signed him to a one-year, $8 million deal. And I think that works well for both parties. You know, now the Buffalo Sabres, they are relevant again. You know, it seems like every year, you know, they get off to a hot start. They are one of the best teams in the league, and then they just fall flat with like an eight, nine game losing streak can, and can never recover. You know, getting a guy like Taylor Hall, who is a former MVP of the league, a former, you know, 40 goal, you know, 98 point guy. So he's going to really drastically, you know, lift this team up. He's a type of guy that can carry the team back on his shoulders. And he's just the type of guy who can breathe life into a team, you know, if, even if they're down by two or three goals. You know, he can single handedly you know, make a comeback for his team alone by potting a, a goal here and there and getting his team right back into the game. Now, the reason why he only signed a one-year deal, I believe, is with the whole cap situation. You know, we don't know um, about next year quite yet. You know, during the draft, Commissioner Gary Bettman, who, by the way, I can't stand, nobody can't stand, he's a piece of shit in my book. But anyway... Um, he announced that the season will start on um, January 1st, around that time period. So we'll just see how that all plays out. But it's a really unknown for the NHL and really all major sports leagues um, throughout the country and in Canada to where you, know, you just don't know what's going to happen with all this COVID stuff. So I think it was smart for him to sign a one-year deal, but he did get his money. It's $8 million for one year, and then he can go out after next year when all this you know, flat cap stuff is gone and everything to get a really big, hefty contract, to get a long-term contract with a team. So I think this works out well for Taylor Hall, and I also think this works out for the Buffalo Bills as well. Because I mean, I'm sorry, the Buffalo Sabres as well, because they are now 
quite honestly, a playoff contender. You know, they were right on the threshold um, at the end of the regular season um, before it got shut down to COVID. They were playing really well down the stretch, even though they hit a law in the middle of the season. So I think Taylor Hall, he, you know, he fits that buffer with the Sabres to where they won't be losing eight, nine games in a row. So I think Taylor Hall with the Sabres easily makes that team way more successful. And I see them challenging challenging for a playoff spot easily in the Eastern Conference. But man, it's really sad right now. You know, it's the middle of October, you know, and, and any other season, we would be right at the beginning of the NHL season. And, you know, we're right at the start of the new season as of right now. You know, the 2020-2021 season won't kick off till around the 1st of January. So this just sucks, especially for a hockey fan like me. You know, if I had to pick between a Stanley Cup final with the Canadians or a Super Bowl with the Steelers, I would say I'd watch a Stanley Cup final with the Canadians. That's how passionate I am about hockey. That's how much I love hockey in general. And, you know, like, you know, it just sucks that, you know, this time last year, it was the start to the NHL season, just like it has been for ages now. And now we have to wait a couple more months for the kickoff to the new 2020-21 season. So it just sucks all around that we can't have hockey right now. That, you know, it's it's just the start of the season right now with the draft concluding and free agency just beginning. So, man, it just sucks all around, like I said. But, you know, it's something to look forward to, I guess, you know, at the beginning of the new year and everything. So we'll just have to wait a little bit more, a um, little bit longer until the season starts. But, boy, I cannot wait till it does start. And speaking of free agency, folks, this just in, breaking news, Le'Veon Bell, who was released by the Jets on Tuesday, where he essentially became a free agent, was just picked up by, guess who, the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you thought this offense with the Chiefs is already scary enough with Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and all those guys in offense... They just got 10 times better with Le'Veon Bell. Now, I know he's been a shell of himself when he signed with the Jets and everything. But, you know, I think that's just a sentiment to how bad the freaking Jets are. The gosh darn Jets. You know, he, you know, the Jets in general, they are just flat out terrible. They suck in all phases of the game. You know, Adam Gase is one of the worst head coaches in the league. I don't know how the Jets, you know, essentially fire Bell, but they don't fire Gase. I I don't understand that at all. I don't know what I don't know what upper management's thinking in New York. But Davion Bell, when he is surrounded by the right people and the right offensive line, he is one of the best, if not the best back in the league. I think what you saw for him last year in the beginning of this year, you know, it really is a fluke. Um, you know, he's not going to have that same type of, you know, bad performances with the Chiefs. I think you're going to see a lot of what he did with Pittsburgh with the Chiefs. They have a really good offensive line there, much like the Steelers did when they had Bell. I think you're going to see the old Bell return. And my God, this Chiefs offense just got 10 times more scary. Because now when they have a lead, they can just hand the ball off to Le'Veon Bell Chew time off the clock. And at the Kansas City Chiefs, if they ever get a lead on you, I mean, you're done now. They're just going to hand, hand the rock off the bell. That's all they'll need to do. You'll hand it to him. He'll get first down with a first down. All that time winding down off the clock and everything in the second half. I mean, wow. This is one hell of a signing by the Kansas City Chiefs. 
I can't. I really can't believe that they got him and signed him. You know, obviously this makes sense for Bell. You know, he wasn't going to get no long-term contract again after being released by the Jets on Tuesday. So for him to come to the Chiefs on a one-year deal and everything, for them to pick him up and sign him, I mean, that is just a phenomenal move by Kansas City. They just increased their uh, Super Bowl chances tenfold with this signing. You know, I know that they're a little shaky on defense, but they've always been a little shaky on defense the past couple years, and they even won a Super Bowl last year with how shaky that defense is. So now when you put Le'Veon Bell in the fold, I mean, just, just watch out. If they ever get a lead in, by halftime going to the second half, they're just going to pound the rock, like I said, with Bell, and he's going to win them games for him. And my God, are they ever Super Bowl favorites now if they weren't already. Uh, this is just one great signing by the Chiefs, and I'm glad the Steelers won't see the Chiefs at all this year unless they see them in the AFC Conference game because, I mean, my freaking God, this offense just looks phenomenal right now. So just if, if your team is playing against the Chiefs, I'm sorry, but it's not looking pretty for your team to come out on top. Uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just not even fair the way this Chiefs offense is loaded right now. And above all else, Le'Veon Bell is one of the best receiving backs in the league. I remember with the Steelers, he he'd make you know 80, 70, 80 catches a year for you know damn near close to a thousand yards um, in the backfield. So that's just another dimension that Patrick Mahomes can throw the ball to now when he's in duress and needs to check it down. He can check it down the bell for a two-yard catch, and he can turn it into a twenty-yard gain. So I'm just I'm baffled by the signing right now, and this just makes the Chiefs ten times better. And I mean, wow, it's going to be damn near impossible for any team to beat this Chiefs team now, because like I said, he is not to perform like he did with the Jets with the Chiefs. That's just not going to happen, guys. So if you're thinking that right now, like, oh, Le'Veon Bell's a shell of himself, you know, you know, he sucked with the Jets. Yeah, but the Jets. The, that just shows. This just goes to show you how sucky that Jets organization is. I mean, they are just terrible from from the top, from the owner, the GM, all the way to the bottom, to their assistant coaches and their practice squad. I mean, they're they are just a terribly run organization with a terrible head coach, with a, a below average franchise quarterback in Sam Darnold, and they're just a complete mess right now. So, I mean, what I've wished Le'Veon Bell would have went back to the Steelers. Hell yeah, I would have. You know, I think, you know, the Steelers let bygones be bygones with that situation happened a couple years ago. But, I mean, this is just, like I said, a great signing for the Chiefs. And I am just glad that the Steelers do not have to face the Chiefs this year unless it's in the AFC title game. Uh, let me just tell you that right now. So one last thing before I conclude this uh, episode today. So this past Sunday, the Los Angeles Lakers beat the Miami Heat um, for LeBron's fourth championship of his career, and you know all the Le all the LeBron James fans are out and about, you know, gloating about, hey, King James won his fourth title, and you know this concludes that he's the goat of the NBA and everything like that. That's a bunch of horse shit. I mean, yes, is LeBron James the greatest player of the modern era? Yes, bar none. I will agree with you 100% on that. Is he a top three player all time? Yes, you won't get any argument from me on there. But where I will get an argument with you is him, is him being the greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, no, he is not. That goes to Michael Jordan and to Michael Jordan alone. 
I just don't know with with what you've seen from that show, The Last Dance. You know, a lot of these young kids, a lot of these young players, and a lot of these young expert experts out there and everything say how LeBron James could have competed back in that era. You know, all these all, all those guys back then, back in Jordan's era, you know, they had they had no skill compared to the guys that um LeBron plays with now and everything like that, and blah 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 blah. But what they never fail to tell you is that the way the game was played back when Jordan played was Definitely, most definitely, not the same style that LeBron is used to seeing right now. I mean, he is just, um, he plays in an era where it's all about offense and it's all about points. And it's one of the, it's, it's the softest era in the NBA ever. In the NBA's existence, there's never been a softer time um, in basketball than what it is right now. And LeBron James He's been a soft player his whole career. Now, I know he's, you know, physically gifted athlete. You know, he's damn near close to seven feet tall. He's, what, 250, 260 pounds? I mean, he's just a freak in nature physically. I mean, he could have played in any sport um, he wanted to. You know, he could have been a legit NFL tight end or linebacker or wherever you would have put him in there um, in football. I mean, he's just that physically gifted of an athlete. But he does not play to his size, meaning that he is a soft player. He shies away from contact. And, you know, you have all the flops that he's done over the years to prove that. He does not like contact. And back whenever Jordan played, I mean, when Jordan, you know, drove the paint, he would get physically physically uh, tackled. I mean, that was the bad boy Pistons game plan against him. Those were the quote-unquote Jordan rules that the Pistons uh, gave to Jordan um, back in the early 90s. I mean, if he drove to the paint, they would literally tackle him to the floor. And rarely would they get called for it on a foul. And in this league, that can't happen. If you do that, you get a technical and you get thrown out of the game. So, like, this whole notion that LeBron could have played back in Jordan's era and he would have put up even more points and everything like that. I, I, I don't think that's true at all. And if anything, with the amount of points Jordan averaged back in that era, with the way defenses played back then and all they could get away with as far as just all the physicality and everything, I mean, if Jordan averaged damn near over 30 points a game in his career um, back in that era, I imagine what he would do in this era where it's all about points, all about offense, and there's just no contact allowed and just such a soft era. I mean, he'd be putting damn near up 50 points a game if he would play in the year 2020 in the NBA back in his prime. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. And just just for Michael Jordan to win six rings in eight years, and really the only reason why um, he didn't win a ring, there was two years of separation in those six rings in eight years, was one, he retired for a year, and then two, he came back the next year halfway through the season and he had to retrain his body and everything like that. He had to get back into game shape and everything. And, you know, he just couldn't do that in half a year. So if he doesn't retire from basketball and everything, there's a really good possibility that he wins eight rings in, in an eight-year period. So I don't buy all that, you know, LeBron James, King James, as some refer to him, you know, that he is the greatest of all time. I just don't believe that. 
for what Michael Jordan did, winning six rings in eight years. Let me say that to you again. Winning six championships in an eight-year span, all the while retiring for a year and coming back on a half a season playing a different sport, having to retrain his body and everything. For him to do that, no other person on the face of this earth will ever, ever, ever do that again. And to be just as dominant as he was during those eight years. I mean, it will just not happen again, guys. I mean, it, he was just so gifted. I mean, it was like Jesus Christ himself on the basketball floor, the way Michael Jordan played. I mean, he would literally make shit up about what other players were saying to him to keep him motivated because that's how easy the game came to MJ. He literally had to make shit up about players talking smack at him just to get himself motivated because the game just came so easy to him. So yeah, for all you people saying LeBron James, you know, this championship with the Lakers, you know, proved to him that he was the GOAT and everything like that, no way in hell is LeBron James still better than Michael Jordan with his fourth ring. And by the way, he did this on the back of, you know, Anthony Davis as well on the team. He's the probably one of the best power forwards in the NBA right now. And, you know, don't get me wrong here. LeBron James, yes, he is one of the greats to ever play the game. He's probably a top three player in the NBA all time. He's just not better than Michael Jordan. And guess what, LeBron James fans? That's okay. It's okay to be second to Michael Jordan. Because Michael Jordan was just that great. I he was He was just so damn good at what he did. And just that stretch alone, again, six championships in eight years. That's what makes him the greatest of all time on the court. You know, there's just nobody else who can do that on one single team. LeBron James had to hop from team to team to team and had to get the right pieces on that particular team in order to win championships. And correct me if I'm wrong. Before Anthony Davis came to the Lakers this past year, what did the Lakers do last year for LeBron James? They didn't even make the playoffs. Now, I know LeBron was hurt um, throughout that 2019 season last year. Yes, I will give LeBron James that. You know, he was hurt for a little bit during that season. But if he was the GOAT, if he was the greatest of all time, that Lakers team still would have made the playoffs. They still should have won enough games with LeBron James when he was healthy to still make it to the playoffs last year. But alas, they didn't. They didn't make the playoffs without Anthony Davis last year. So that's just that's just what I'm trying to say. LeBron James, he is great. Yes, it's just he's just not greater than Michael Jordan, and that's okay. But again, six championships, eight years, ain't going to happen again will never happen again. So get the hell over it, okay? Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. Let's just let it at that, and let's just enjoy LeBron James for what he is, the second greatest player, or at least top three greatest players of all time. Nothing more, nothing less. End of conversation. 
And on that note, I think that's a wrap for this episode of Montreal Madness. As always, make sure to subscribe to my podcast on both Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Make sure to give me a like on Facebook and on Twitter at Montreal Madness. And until next week, see you later, guys.